10-5 touchdown, Arkansas State. Culver is safe. The Red Wolves have walked it off. Amir, coast to coast, lays it home with the right hand, and he's fouled. Welcome to the Second to None podcast, the A-State podcast, presented by Simmons Bank. Now, here's a couple of guys who know the Red Wolves like no one else, Matt Stoltz and Brad Bobo. And we welcome you once again to the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Matt Stoltz, Brad Bobo, thrilled you're with us. It's always fun to have a football game to recap and another one to look forward to. Yeah, and uh, look, that was a fun football game Saturday night. I I enjoyed it a lot regardless of the outcome. I don't know how you couldn't have fun watching that one. Teams go for 105 points, 1,361 yards, uh, uh, fireworks all over the place. What Was there any games, as you were calling it the other night, that, that you were just kind of comparing it to? Obviously, the last play of the ball game, five seconds left. You know, A-State has the ball at their own 44. You know what's coming, the Hail Mary, and it was a sense of <laughs> – Deja vu for me. It had been 15 years since calling the miracle in Memphis. But, you know, I guess if you want to compare it to another game, uh, I remember the game in Monroe yeah. a few years back where, you know, A-State won 67-50. to 50. That was another game where we saw those video game type numbers. But, you know, to, to see what we did the other night and all the big plays yeah. that, that so. uh, transpired that's pretty rare. Yeah, we had I had sort of fired the the Hail Mary bullet already because when when Tavalence Hunt caught a 53-yard touchdown, then coming out of the break after that is when on the TV broadcast I had him play the Miracle in Memphis because it was a 53-yard touchdown, not knowing we were going to get into a Hail Mary situation. <laughs> uh and then otherwise the Monroe game is the one for me. As a matter of fact, when I was uh, talking with someone on Sunday, it was out came across an A-State fan and you know kind of you know, grinding his teeth about the defense. And I said, look, I said, it, and it was the Monroe game I cited. Just saying, look, they're just going to be days. That game in Monroe, one of them where I think as defensive coaches, you realize it, you know, it probably doesn't matter what we do. Everybody's going to score every time they touch the ball. It's what developed that day down there. And it's, and it's what we kind of ended up seeing Saturday night. Kind of going back to before the game, we knew Memphis was coming off a week one win against you know, a good FCS opponent. We knew A-State was coming in off a week one win against a good FCS opponent. But outside of that, you know, there were a lot of questions still yet to be answered. And the the biggest question was the quarterbacks. Of course, you know, James Blackman had started week one against Central Arkansas for the Red Wolves. And Lane Hatcher came in off the bench and he was perfect. 12 for 12, the four touchdowns and we didn't know who would start, whether it be James or Lane, going into the game on Saturday. And I'm able to sit down with Coach Jones on Thursday and record the pregame interview and, and kind of talk with him about what we'll see on Saturday. I knew going into UCA that James Blackman would be the starter. We knew that mm-hmm. that, that was the case. I will tell you, in, in all the years that we've been doing this, there has never been a game that we've gone into where I didn't know who the starting quarterback would be until Saturday. Yeah. We honestly had no idea because when I sat down with Coach Jones on Thursday, 
just sitting in his office, he said, I still don't know. And <laughs> at that point, he was leaning towards Lane. But we didn't know for sure who was going to be out there first. Yeah, and uh, you know, from my standpoint, in the booth I was in, you know, having still not knowing that up up to kickoff, and then, you know, of all things, uh, you know, as soon as we're watching the toss and see the A states won the toss and deferred, it's like we got to wait a little longer. Uh, it, for me, it was down for I would say the same as as most fans in the stands. It's just a matter looking down to that huddle before we went out on offense for the first time. Try to see who was standing in the middle of it, and it was number three. So Lane Hatcher did indeed get the start, and we'll kind of talk about how everything played out. But, you know, you mentioned Memphis got the football first, and I thought it set the tone on that very first drive when Memphis was able to convert a couple of third and Mm -hmm. longs, including the 55-yard touchdown pass to Calvin Austin. And, man, that guy's about as fast as any receiver you'll ever see. In fact, he's a two-time track All-American, but you saw why anytime he got out in the open field. But Memphis was able to score. They stop A-State on its first possession. Then they go and score again. So right out of the gate, you've dug yourself a 13 nothing hole after they missed the extra point after the the second touchdown. Yeah, and then, you know, and I know we'll hear some of the stuff here probably along the way, but, you know, you really spend the rest of the night trying to dig out of that hole, and every time you'd make a little ground, Memphis would hit a bomb. I mean, Memphis scored eight touchdowns in this game, and their average scoring play was 48 and a quarter yards. Unreal. And again, the fact that the total yardage was dead even at the end of the night is as amazing as anything. A-State, after getting down 13 nothing, did get their first points, and it was on an explosive play. Lane Hatcher hooking up down the right sideline with Tavalence Hunt. Hatcher going deep down the right side looking for Hunt. This is tipped and caught, and T. Hunt is going to score. Touchdown, Arkansas State from 53 yards out. Lane Hatcher hooking up with the TCU transfer to Valence Hunt. Again, Memphis had so many big plays, and really it came down to the explosive plays. We mentioned the 55-yard the touchdown to Calvin Austin on that opening drive, but Brandon Thomas was a, a big story saturday and and he struck for the first time with a little over four minutes to go in the first quarter with a 70 yard run and this is an arkansas kid he he's a redshirt freshman went to north little rock and he had several good offers decided to go to memphis and he looks like he's going to be the guy there for the next few years well had offers in arkansas state among them he had an offer from a state i believe and went to play at memphis and Look, uh, you know, I think uh, a couple of years ago, nearly blew his hand off in a fireworks accident. Yeah. And uh, they played him a little bit, four carries or something like that last year, red-shirted him. A heck of a player. Good to see Blake Groupie. I, I should have said that on Saturday, apparently, but he's a heck of a player. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that. Uh, Blake Groupie had a good night. He had three field goals on his three attempts, including a career-long, had a 48-yarder in the first half. You know, still, you're down 27 to 13 with a couple of minutes to go in the first half. And we saw something we don't see very often. We see Lane Hatcher 
get a rushing touchdown. Just his second career rushing touchdown. Tyler is an H-back on that left side. 135 with the clock moving. Second quarter. Hatcher steps up. Going to keep it. Inside the 10. Inside the 5. Lane Hatcher is into the end zone. Touchdown, Arkansas State. With 90 seconds remaining here in the first half. So Hatcher getting it done with his feet. You felt at that point, hey, it's a seven-point game at the half, but unfortunately Memphis able to strike right after that. Yeah, same thing. Get the momentum or or think you're wrestling away a little bit of it and give up a bomb. In this case, Thomas goes for 75, and as soon as you've gotten to a score, you're back down two again. And then uh, a key was the the ability uh, with a minute and 20 seconds to go, you know, get points. Uh, at the half I mean, that was a big deal to kind of get even if it was a field goal and you wanted a touchdown you got some of that back from giving up that bomb you had the momentum they took it back in one place so to go get points right before the half you'll seem like a, a pretty big deal considering a state would get the ball to start the third quarter yeah down 11 getting the ball to begin the second half you did feel good but at the same time not able to get some points early in the third Memphis does strike with another big play, a 50-yard touchdown pass to Calvin Austin, made it 41-23. Still, two and a half minutes to go in the third. That's where we're sitting. Memphis is up 18. Butch Jones is looking for a spark. And like he did the week before against UCA, he does it at the quarterback position. This time, it's James Blackman coming in off the bench. And... Again, 2.32 to go in the third is when James Blackman entered the ball game. He would go on to finish 19 of 28 for 3.08 and four touchdowns. And I thought he kind of just set the tone for the rest of the way on that first drive he was out there. He had that deep ball down the left side. Jeff Foreman made an amazing catch on that ball down the left sideline then the very next play able to find Corey Rucker in the back corner of the end zone fresh headed down for the Memphis 22 Blackman flushed out rolls right throws for the end zone this is caught Corey Rucker keeping his feet inbounds in the back corner of the end zone and a stakes with an impressive drive at that point it's 41 to 30 Memphis early in the fourth scores again on a four-yard run by Marquavius Weaver makes it 48 to 30 and then A-State strikes with the deep ball yeah. and and really a really deep ball as I deep mean, as you can get I mean you and you can just see it coming I mean Blackman drops back and you can just kind of see he rears back this cannon he's got on his right shoulder and, and uncorks it and old Jeff Foreman ran under it again Blackman claps his hands for it James going deep over the middle looking for Foreman. Foreman makes the catch, breaks the tackle across the 40, 30. Foreman across the 20, 10. He's into the end zone. James Flagman with an 89-yard touchdown pass to Jeff Foreman. And the Red Wolves are still very much alive with 10.54 remaining in the game. 89 yards on the touchdown pass. That was the third longest touchdown pass in a state history so at that point it's 48 36 the red wolves go for two on what looked like a great play that they were trying to throw it back to andre harris the left tackle but it was called an illegal forward pass and you were able to see it uh, on the tv broadcast just how close was it 
I don't know. I mean, because I'm sitting here with a guy, you know, in the booth and Pete Cordelli who's coached college football for years and years and years and still coaching high school football with Trent Dilfer in Nashville right now. And for all the times we watched it, I don't know that he could ever pick out where it became an illegal forward pass. So apparently real close. It was very close, but the two points not allowed. So it's 48-36. Right as soon as Memphis gets the ball back, they strike again. And 75 yards Seth Hennigan, who is one heck of a quarterback for a true freshman, Uh, just a second career game. He threw for over 400 yards and five touchdowns. But uh, 75 yards to Calvin Austin. It's 55-36 at that point. And look, at that point, I I think some of the fans were starting to file out. It It felt like Memphis had all the momentum. How many times can you get knocked down and keep getting back up? But credit goes to A-State because they certainly didn't give yeah. up. And, uh, and I sent a tweet out about this on Sunday. And we maybe we should have known they were getting up because you asked me what games this reminded me of. I, I put out It really reminded me more of a movie, and that's Rocky. Because in Rocky, every punch everybody throws connects every time. And this was kind of <laughs> like that. And so we should have known that uh, whoever was behind probably had a couple of more punches left in them. And it's not like A-State had a big play on the next drive. They went 15 plays on the next drive. 15 plays, 65 yards. It was a drive that that took almost five minutes off the clock. Not exactly what you want. You'd like to (laughs) have the big play in that situation. But it ended with a, a touchdown pass to Adam Jones, Coach Jones' son. I know he was happy to see his son get in the end zone for the very first time. But at that point, it, you know, you're still down 12. You need the defense to get a couple of stops. And at that point, you didn't know whether or not it could happen, just the way the Memphis yeah. offense was rolling. Yeah, and uh, you know, they did. Uh, if you recall, I think, did it the first stop A-State got – was using one timeout and then Memphis kind of helped the cause a little bit by throwing the football on third down. It was incomplete with illegal touching that was declined. Yeah. And, you know, they had to give it up there. Uh, and then, you know, the second time, you know, they got another stop using their, their last two timeouts. Of course, I, I think it was skip a score in there, but they, they yeah. uh, used the timeouts after getting in the end zone again. As tough as it was defensively the other day, the last two times the A-State defense was on the field, they forced three and outs, which if you want to build off something, that's it. And you know, I, I was talking with Coach Jones yesterday you know, before we, we started filming the TV show, and, and he was proud of his team's conditioning. He felt like his team was better conditioned and really allowed his team a chance there at the end of the ball game to get back into it. But you're right. After the first three and outs, the Red Wolves drive down, 10-play, 87-yard drive. It was capped off on a five-yard touchdown pass to Akeem Hayes, who we really didn't see until late in the game. Kentucky transfer, and he looked good. Had a couple of catches late. You you notice the other thing that went on on the Akeem Hayes touchdown play? What happened? Part of the reason why he may have been – open on the left side of the formation is that Arkansas State had slipped Dahu Green into the lineup on the right side and 
obviously thinking we're about to throw the fade to this guy and he drew a double team immediately i mentioned it on our radio broadcast that dahu was out there on the right side and we were talking about the exact same thing but akeem hayes was able to get open dahu split right he stands at six four blackman with time throws left side this ball is caught and into the end zone is akeem hayes for the touchdown and it's a one-score game with 152 to go. 152 to go. You're down just five. You know you need another stop. The A-State defense does it again. Coach Jones uses his final two timeouts. So when Memphis elects to punt, and by the way, mm-hmm. I think both of us were talking about this afterwards. For for Ryan Silverfield, you know he's fourth and three inside A-State territory. You were wondering whether or not he would go for it there or punt the football. And I think I was a little bit surprised yeah. that he, he decided to punt. Same thing on our, on our broadcast. We assumed you'd go for it because yeah. And punt is obviously the safest kick it down there. Give them further to have to go. And I get it. But part of what had aided, if we're just being honest, Arkansas state in those last couple of stops was the fact that the situation dictated Memphis be one dimensional. And so, you know, you're able to load up on the run and, and keep them from getting a first down and get the ball back. Fourth and three, they didn't have to be one-dimensional. He could run anything in the playbook right there because the worst that's going to happen is you're going to give him the football there, and the best that's going to happen is you're going to get four yards and win the game. So I, that's a, I was a little bit surprised. I mean, obviously worked out, but I sure would not have been shocked at all to see him come out and say, we're going for the knockout punch. And look – you also have to look at their punter. Joe Doyle yeah, really is good. the best person to punt in that stadium since Cody Grace. <laughs> and, yeah, that's true. And uh, he he was fantastic the other night, and he downed the ball at the four-yard line. So, look, we're out of timeouts, 53 seconds to go. And I, I just loved the body language when James Blackman came out. He was hopping up and down. Man, he, he was fired up to get back out there and try to, to lead that drive. And credit – to the Red Wolves because in that situation you, you know you know you got to get out of bounds they did a couple of times and you gave yourself a chance at the Hail Mary at the end of the game you get up to the 44 and James throws it as far as he can which is a really long way yes and you know it was in the end zone it was about two yards deep in the end zone when Memphis got a hand on it yeah truth of the matter is I mean if anything he threw it too far. I don't know. They the A State had to go all the way down to it yet. It just he's got such a strong arm. And you know, we mentioned. Uh, I go back to the the miracle in Memphis, and you know, Coach Keedy says, "Well, he's got to throw it a ton to get there." Yeah, there was no question. There should have been no question as to whether or not James Blackman could get that ball in the end zone. We had the guy to make that throw in 2006 because Corey Leonard had a cannon, and that was one of the prettiest balls you'll ever see. He threw that 65 yards, perfect spiral, you know, back in the end zone to Patrick Higgins. But, you know, James Blackman may have the strongest arm we've had since Corey Leonard. I mean, just pure arm strength, it's right there in that same category. Yep, and was on you know, full display. So the, the the two teams, and I look, I, I I did say this along with a lot of stuff. But those two teams treated us to a heck of a fun football game to watch and broadcast and just be a part of. And it, it was that was just it was fun to see them go at it. It was a very entertaining college football game, and 
if we learned anything at all, and I liked what Coach Jones said after the game. He said, look, I needed a lot of things answered tonight, and I got a lot of questions answered. So that was good. One thing we do know is this A-State team's got a lot of fight in it, and they came back and almost erased a 19-point deficit with a little over five minutes to go in the game and obviously still had the ball with a, with a chance to win it at the end. So it shows the, the fight that this team has, and, and they did it against one heck of a mm-hmm. football team. Memphis is going to win a whole lot of games this year, and they have over the last seven years or so. When, and, you're, uh, when you're good up front on both sides of the football, and you got a really, really good young quarterback who's got a stud running back, a stud tight end, and a stud wideout out there with him. You're going to beat some folks with all those things. Memphis wins it 55-50. to A-State now 1-1 one and one on the season. We're going to look ahead to this week's game at Washington when we come back on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. You raised your family here. Did every July 4th here refinished the floors here twice, sized up your daughter's boyfriends here, waited in the doorway all day when your son was coming home on leave. This place has given you all you've dreamed of, and now it's giving again in the form of a gourmet kitchen and the quietest dishwasher known to man. Realize your dream with a home equity line of credit from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC, equal housing lender, subject to credit approval. Back on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Continuing to talk A-State footballs, we take a look ahead now. First road trip of the season for the Red Wolves. First of three in a row. Three in a row. Um and you just get the long one out of the way first. Go and uh, I would guess we have to look it over. You're just about as far as you can go and play a college football game if you're Arkansas State. This is uh, a big paycheck, number one. And I had asked you this morning, I couldn't remember what the deal was that Terry Mahajer set up for this game, but you said $1.75 million. That was a report when it got signed, one point seven five. And, you know, the truth is it's – you know, for the foreseeable future, one of the last deals you'll probably get in that neighborhood. That price tag's probably going down for a lot of different reasons. But yeah, $1.75 million for this one. Uh, a team that, uh, you know, when the preseason polls came out, we all were saying, hey, this is one of three ranked opponents Arkansas State's going to face this year. That number's already down to one, but not only is Washington not ranked, it's winless. Yeah, 0-2 to start the year, and I think that surprises a lot of people. You know, I remember our friend Phil Steele, who does a fantastic job with his preseason mm-hmm. rankings and magazine. He comes on your show every year. But I remember he said Washington was his surprise team nationally yep. this year. And they lose to Montana in week one. So you drop a game to an FCS opponent and then – go on the road to Michigan and look, you play them in prime time at the big house, you know, this past weekend and you lose 31 to 10. Uh, I guess what's surprising about Washington thus far is they've scored a total of 17 points in the first two games. Yeah. You know, lost, uh, you know, to a good FCS team at home and, and they're one look, they weren't alone, right? I mean, there were what, six FCS teams that won on opening weekend. Yeah. Uh, and then you mentioned, you know, obviously it, no real shame in getting beat at Michigan, but it's it's not just the the outcome. You know, 
a lot of coaches that I've been around the years talk about the different there's there's outcome and there's performance. Uh, the outcome hadn't been what they're after, but I'm pretty sure they'd say the performances have not either. There's a lot of reasons I'm looking forward to this trip. I'll start with the fact we'll be in Seattle, mm-hmm. which is one of my favorite cities. I love Seattle, Washington. It's beautiful. And I don't know how beautiful the forecast is looking for this weekend. It's supposed to be cool, 58 degrees. But for my man here that's going to be on the sidelines, it's calling for a pretty good chance of rain at kickoff on Saturday. Yeah. J.C. Cox, he does this two weeks. There's not a cloud in the sky and <laughs> Chamber of Commerce weather. Now I'm looking at the, the latest right now as we sit here on this. Uh, uh, we're, we're looking at this on Monday. Yeah, overcast with rain and showers at time. Chance of rain, 60%. They have bumped the high all the way to 62 with a 50% or 55% chance of rain at the moment. It's a beautiful city, though. And, you know, when we go on the road, we... We'll get a rental car because we need to get to the stadium much earlier than the team does to set up equipment. But it also allows us to go around and and check out some of the sites. And you know, looking forward to taking the guys downtown and enjoying that, seeing the Pike Place Market and eating seafood and all that. See the Space Needle. Mm-hmm. But you know, I remember, you know, my first trip to Seattle was actually a basketball trip. When Coach Brady was here, we played Seattle University. I've not called a game at Washington before, but you've actually been to a Washington, Washington football, football game. game. Yeah, that's right. Uh, one of my uh, early years doing women's basketball, went out there for a Thanksgiving tournament at Washington, and uh, it was set up to where I can't remember. They played Friday, Sunday, maybe, or whatever it was. Uh, they did not play uh, on the day of the football game because it was the 100th Apple Cup, which is the Washington-Washington State game. And uh, and a member of the athletic department of Washington uh, got some tickets. Uh, I went, and you know, Van Province, who was uh, sports information at the time, and Chad Sturkey uh, was our athletic trainer then, the three of us, went and watched Washington-Washington State. It, it was quite a scene. Now, it, it's... And talking about Husky Stadium, it's known as being one of the loudest stadiums in all of college football. And if you get on the athletic website, it, it boasts about an average crowd noise of over 100 decibels. Right down the road at the Seahawks Stadium, it's known as you know being one of the louder stadiums, if not the loudest in the NFL. So we expect a, a, a really loud environment, over 70,000 seats, and one of the most picturesque mm-hmm. settings in all of college sports right there on lake washington yeah that, that's a cool scene and i the thing i remember then is even for a city you know the size of seattle how we got to that game was you know in in downtown seattle you basically every bus running will take you to the stadium for free if you show a game ticket that that's and so i remember you know that's the one that's kind of the one of the things i remember from that is that you know for a city that big a, you know major metropolitan city that they were still that you know on board with the college football team that all the public transportation ran fans out to the stadium for free that had a game ticket and i'm, I'm assuming that's still the case but uh yeah pretty scene uh, be loud it be interesting to see kind of if we come back thinking if we sit back here next week and say where it ranks with the loudest because to me the mark to beat right now is virginia tech you know, we've been in a lot of cool environments, and people ask us a lot when when they run into us, you know, our favorite places to, to broadcast a game. 
And there, there's been some fantastic environments we've been in, you know, the Texas A&M and Alabama and Auburn and Tennessee and loved our trips to Army and Navy. But there's no question what the loudest stadium was uh, that we've been in. And, and that was when we went to Virginia Tech and they seat, I think, a little over 60,000. Yeah, but not close to the biggest. But. Just deafening when when they come out to enter Sandman it is uh, unlike any environment I've ever been in so uh, looking forward to seeing how Washington compares this week and you know we've taken a couple of trips out west over the years to uh, to play Pac-12 teams and I, I guess uh, the first one was back in 2012 when we went out there to play Oregon yeah you know late a late arriving game there in, in Gus Malzahn's year against Chip Kelly Marcus Mariota's first start and that, that was Coach Malzahn's first game. Yeah, and the the biggest difference for me, the thing I like better about this Washington game as opposed to the Oregon one, is that yeah we got a one o'clock Pacific kick, three fifteen Central's the kick, no, I love as it. opposed to uh, that Oregon game which kicked off at seven Pacific, nine o'clock in Jonesboro that time. Well, even worse than that was three years later when we went to. LA to take on USC and if you remember that was the season opener in that 2015 campaign and it was a 10 o'clock central time kick eight o'clock pacific and I can't remember I guess we rolled in around eight or eight or nine yeah, in the morning the I think next both day. of those times the sun was up when you got home and that's not that's not a, a lot of fun but uh yeah looking forward to to this we have had some some uh, fun trips out west, but I'm glad this one gets a, an earlier start. Again, uh, A-State takes on Washington. And you know, our coverage will begin at 1 on the EAB Red Wolf Sports Network from Learfield and then uh, kick off at 3.15 coming up on Saturday afternoon. We're going to talk about some other things happening around the world of A-State sports when we come back on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Your first home is like this dream. The day you walk in, the sun seems to shine more brightly. The ceilings, they just seem taller. And you'll never fix that creaky floorboard because it sounds like comfort. What a hug would sound like if it made a sound. And that's when you realize you're home. Really, really home. Realize your dream with a home loan from Simmons Bank. Dreams realized. SimmonsBank.com. Member FDIC equal housing lender subject to credit approval. Back on the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank. Step away from football for a few minutes and some other good things happening around the world of A-State sports. And, you know, we've been talking about soccer and volleyball, but, you know, women's golf is something that... Uh, is certainly on the radar now and wanted to point out we saw a program record last week they've done that a lot uh it's of late with coach uh, shaw and, and her team but yeah they uh had a 54 total or 54 hole total 208 down at south alabama olivia, and, schmidt. olivia schmidt did but if you go back and look uh you know, Mark Taylor does a good job with the records on those programs, and uh, for both men's golf and women's golf, a lot of those records have been set lately. So it's, it's, it honestly comes as no surprise. Yeah, they're rolling. I know the the men's team is up in Minnesota playing a, a tournament uh, as we record this. And what they both have now is, you know, they're both you're having to work some newcomers in. You're going to see some names because you know both of those programs had some super seniors. 
both literally and figuratively from COVID. So uh, you're going to see some new names in there, but hopefully uh, the, the same results we've been used to seeing of late on the golf course. Well, speaking of same results, more one nothing results from the <laughs> A-State soccer team. It's it's amazing. I mean, it seems like every game they play anymore is decided by that score. But fortunately, this past week, a couple of one nothing victories at home against Tulsa last Thursday and then Sunday night went to Conway and defeated Central Arkansas. And I think you know both of those teams you know pretty good. Both good wins. Uh, Megan McClure, I think now is twenty five career shutouts. And again, this is not a kid that's. I mean, she split time the first couple of seasons of her career. So, I mean, she's rewriting the record book without being the full-time starter her whole career. But uh, a couple of one nothing wins, and I know just enough about it to be dangerous. So, I essentially know what Coach Dooley has taught me. But I do know this. They sort of hang their hat on their defense. And honestly, I, I do think kind of the way they approach the game is that if they can get ahead of you one nothing, they can play good. They can play defense well enough to make that stand and – they're right more often than not. They're now 3-3-1 three, three, and one on the season, and they begin conference play now. After a very challenging non-conference schedule, they take on the team that <laughs> oh. they've met in the Sunbelt Conference Championship match each of the last two years as they uh, they host South Alabama this Friday. Yeah, I would. I, and I don't know that it'll happen because I don't know if enough A-State people kind of know the deal and could get there. But, man, it'd be fun if this was a big, even somewhat hostile crowd because A-State has lost to South Alabama in the last two Sunbelt Championship matches. Uh, two years ago, a-State got a, a red card early and had to play the entire match a person down, and the score ended up looking one-sided. Last year, Arkansas State had the match won had to play and got a red card late and had to play the last, I can't remember, five, ten minutes or so shorthanded, and South Alabama just so happened to score two goals in that time and kind of uh, get away with the win there. So uh, I know this has to be one Coach Dooley and his players are looking forward to. Again, 3 o'clock Friday afternoon, A-State hosts South Alabama. It would be great to see a great crowd out there. Uh, another good weekend for the volleyball team. They're now 6-3. and three. They took two out of three at the SEMO Invitational over the weekend, and they played three matches. All of them went to five sets. Yeah, and I just – I mean, just – uh, that's hard to believe. I don't know if you see that very many times, but yeah, three five setters. Uh, you know, came up on the the short end of one to UMKC that I think was somewhere in the fifteen thirteen neighborhood in the fifth uh, on uh, the first day, and then won a five setter against Marshall, and then turned around to beat Semo in five sets too. So really, really good matches from them, and uh, they've been a fun a, a bunch to, to watch. You saw them obviously at home. They've been gone the last two weekends, and they will be gone until they come home to start some about play at the, the start of October. Yeah, they'll wrap up non-conference play coming up this weekend as they take on Tennessee Martin and Memphis at the Tiger Brawl in Memphis uh, on Friday, and then they'll wrap up that tournament by uh, playing UAPB on Saturday. I think so. I'm trying to see if I can get the call for that uh, Memphis match Friday. Well. I'm waiting, I'm waiting on the phone to ring. They're a... Uh, they're a big fan of yours. <laughs>
So, so what are you talking about? You've referenced it a couple of times now. You were on the TV broadcast. So, yeah, that's just on Saturday. Uh, we, one thing we told people when we started this is we would do our best to take you behind the scenes, not just talk about the stuff you saw yourself, but we would go behind the scenes. So let's go. You know, Roger Twible has come uh, down for the last few years and done those uh, locally produced ESPN Plus games. He comes from Kansas City and. And for whatever reason, he knew early, uh, a little while ago, that he wouldn't be able to come the first two weeks of the season. The next two games are broadcast games on Thursday, as far as home games go, so those don't matter. It kind of, the home schedule from that TV broadcast is divided into kind of three sets of two. So the first two, he couldn't come. And, you know, there are a lot of conversation, a lot of things that had to get worked out, both, uh, you know, especially involving radio broadcasts. But I was asked, if I wanted to call those games, and, and I did. I mean, I, I, you know, it was something I wanted to try out. Yeah. <clears throat> and then, you know, Pete Cordelli, who's done color the last few years with Roger, was still is still the color person. Uh, he's in quarantine the week of the UCA game, and as we talked, Tim Allison steps up on about forty eight hours notice and stepped it, out of retirement. It stepped out of, and, and we both do a TV football game for the first time together. Not together, each of us individually doing it for the first time. And hear very little about it, and that's exactly what you want to have happen. Sure, you and I. Matter of fact, I, it, I guess it's my fault because going into Saturday, I, I, I sit down with uh, Pete. We meet at the the hotel at noon to go over stuff for the broadcast, and I make the comment: the one thing I want to have happen is when it's over, not a word gets said about me. Not good, not bad, nothing, and I miss the mark. <laughs> So, what have you been accused of? Well, I, th- there's probably two things. A- and the truth is, I haven't taken a long look at it and will not. Because largely, I don't care. And so, this may go into what, if, if there's a rant, uh, that this has been varying levels depending on when you hit me over the last 48 hours of just what kind of rant this would be. Up to one time, it was gonna finally going to let me cuss on this thing for the first time. But this is, I don't <laughs> if, think it'll if happen. there's going to be a moment where you do, this is it. If there's two accusations, let's just say one of them is that I just suck. That's not the case. And the other one is that Memphis got a homer call. I actually can live with the I just suck. There's Arkansas Arkansas State fans that think that have thought it for a long time. I can live with the you just suck. I have a harder time, believe it or not, with with the notion that I homered Memphis because I was going out of my way not to. Do you think people just see that you're, uh, whether it through, be through social media or whatever else, and just assume that anytime you get excited about Arkansas State, since you're around the program all the time, you must be a homer? Probably. I, there, there's probably some of that. I mean, because I one person in particular tweeting at me, as I go back and look, they're tweeting at me during the game, and they're tweeting at me. So now they've gone and found you on Twitter to do that. So I, I do think there's some of that going on. I know, like I have slept like a baby since then because I know I didn't homer Memphis. And if I did, then I humanly don't have it in me not to. I mean, I've just, I I compliment them like crazy. How could you not? They scored 55 points and had 680 yards of offense. How do you not compliment the dudes? And so I'm not not worried about it. You know, you and I Mm -hmm. have jobs in the world of sports Sort of like, but not to the same level at all of coaching. But we've got jobs everybody can do. Sure. Yeah. We've got jobs everybody can do. 
I've, nobody ever goes on social media and says, you know what? I could have done that brain surgery better than that guy that did it on my mom. But we got jobs that everybody could sit down and do. And that's okay. So if, if there's a rant coming, it, it's not about the Memphis people thinking they got homeward. Because the truth of the matter is, on some level, they can kick rocks. There are people that put me in that chair. And I've told those people, go back and watch those broadcasts. And if, if, if I didn't do a good enough job for you to put your name on it, don't ever ask me to do it again. That's what I told them. But, you know, again, so I'm not worried about that part. The thing that just kind of, the, if there's a rant in this, here it is. Social media not just gives everybody a voice, but it gives everybody a voice in the false, in the false sense that people give a damn what that voice is. And so we're just so quick and not about this in general. I, I, it just drives me crazy to, to get on social media and see somebody rip a restaurant because I went here the other day and it took too long. Rip mm-hmm. this and rip that. Call them by name. Trying to, when you're doing it, you're trying to hurt somebody's business. Why? Have never understood it. Part of why even the Arkansas State people think I'm a homer is because I just, I'm not very good at being critical. I'm not a fire the coach guy. I'm not this. I typically will try to say, you know, I, I'm just not a, not very critical. And that obviously in this day and age and social media doesn't set well with a lot of people. But that's across the board. I went to a restaurant Sunday for lunch that had one of those big fancy uh, freestyle soda machines. Every single screen on it was blacked out. Everyone. Go back and find the social media post where I ripped that place. And here's what I wanted to do. like I, Because I actually kind of thought it was funny. I wanted to take a picture of that screen with every soda option blacked out. And it, just the screen and you know, kind of put it on Facebook and put decisions, decisions. <laughs> but I still wasn't going to say where it was. Because you're a decent human being. You weren't going to do that. So here's the, here's the message. Unfortunately, we got jobs where, whether we like it or not, we got to be on social media because that's where the information is. Correct. So to a certain level, we got to be there. Whether you do or not, and it's not just about social media because people are critical all over the place. If you're doing something you like doing, don't let somebody else suck the enjoyment out of it for you. And case in point, you talk about coaches and broadcasters and with social media in particular, I mean, nothing's ever said very rarely is something said that that's positive. That's right. And you look at the very best in our business. Joe Buck is who I'm thinking of. Gets Nobody is better than Joe Buck. There's a reason why he's been the lead voice for Fox Sports for both football and baseball for however however many years. He is constantly ripped. You will never see anything good said about him on social media. And there's nobody better Dan at Mc- his job than Joe Buck. Dan McLaughlin, I uh, saw the thing just this weekend. He's called more TV games than anybody in Cardinal history. At one time, like, and you're going to be like, there was a thread where some people are saying, one of these days this guy will be in the Cardinal Hall of Fame. But typically you're going to read threads just about how much he sucks. So it is. It, it, so you just you understand when you got certain jobs, it comes with a thick skin. Like I said, it it, it really it it doesn't bother me because I don't because believe me, I've done a thousand games that I homered people to death, and Saturday wasn't one of them. But wait till the next time 
And I've already, t- we talked about it before. Yeah, you'll we show them what a, a homer broadcast you, When baseball really season rolls around, you're getting the day off when Arkansas State and Memphis playing baseball. And I'm going to go do that radio broadcast, and you ain't ever seen nothing like it. A State uh-huh. won't take a strike all day. Memphis won't take a ball all day. It's I'm pulling out every trick in the book. The job's yours. You, you got that trip to Memphis. <laughs> I, I'm handing it off to you now. And I do want to take this opportunity because we talked about what's happened on the TV side. I want to brag on our man, Philip Butterfield, his first two broadcasts. Listen, I've heard nothing but good things about Philip's first two games. And that way I'm looking forward to finally getting to hear it myself. Yeah, we'll, we'll finally have the, the whole team back together. We're assembling the broadcast team once again. We're sounding the horns. <laughs> the conch shell. The, the conch shell, getting everybody back together. But, hey, uh, props to uh, to Philip and to J.C. Cox for filling in uh, on the sidelines for you, doing a really good job for us the last couple of weeks. And, and I look forward to the tweets from people missing J.C. after this weekend. We will try to get through it. <laughs> We'll, we'll get through it together, buddy. But, uh, yeah, uh, thanks to, to Philip and JC doing such a great job the last couple of weeks. It'll be me, Philip, and Bobo on the broadcast coming up on Saturday. Hey, it's Pac-12 Network uh, as far as the TV goes. If you get it, great. Turn us up. Turn the TV sound down. If not, then we're going to have coverage starting at 1 o'clock from Seattle. We'll have the kickoff at 3.15 across the – EAB Red Wolf Sports Network from Learfield. But really, really excited about this trip. And, you know, hopefully the Red Wolves can carry a little bit of momentum from that fourth quarter this past Saturday. I cannot wait to see what the second quarterback in the game does. It's really going to be something to see. The second quarterback tends to be the man. The second quarterback is 31 for 40 with eight touchdowns so far. That's a heck of a stat. Yes. I've, I've never seen anything like it. But that's that's what we've seen through the first two weeks. Again, A-State Washington on Saturday. We'll be back to recap it next week with the Second to None podcast presented by Simmons Bank.